looking at this book in light of Daniel's window to the future. So everything about each one of these chapters is revealing us something about the future. And uh, I don't think uh, chapter 3 is any different. Uh, we already looked at how that uh, very much it coincides with the final uh, week, Daniel's 70th week, and uh, the one world church that's going to exist during that time, and the worship of the image in the temple. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Satan's been trying to do that for since the beginning. And it's been in every empire. They've all desired it. And Satan's been looking for someone to work through that he could gain worship from man. And so that's kind of how it ties together here uh, with the future. And we're going to look, uh, we've looked at the king's ego. And we looked at how Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed victories as a head of gold. Uh, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar constructed an image of gold. And of course that image, it doesn't say what it was. We don't know if it was a man or whatever, but we, we, we kind of think it is, uh, especially in relation to the uh, vision or dream he had the chapter before, it seems likely that it was an image of gold that was a man and on the plain of Dura, and it was covered in gold. And he got all the uh, different heads of state and different people, uh, law enforcement, financial people, uh, judges, military, everybody was there, and they were all going to worship this image uh, when the music played. And we saw how that played out last week and how that, uh, you know, in the tribulation time, uh, there's going to be a requirement that people will have to worship the image that is set up in that temple. And if they don't uh, worship that image and receive the mark of the beast, uh, the 666, that they will, won't be able to buy or sell, and ultimately they could be put to death. Now, it's interesting when you look at Scripture, you think that it's a big statement, so everybody is going to die, everybody's going to... But that's not necessarily true, because we know that at the judgment of the nations, there's going to be a lot of people alive. So even those that are righteous aren't all just going to die from not taking the number. But there will be several or many, I don't know how many, but many that will die because of that. But because of the shortness of time, uh, really you only got three and a half years uh, that are taking place here since Antichrist has that power to actually implement this type of thing. Think about it, three and a half years. I mean, that's probably the length of a regular term of a politician in office. And you know the, how God stops it after three and a half years. After all, these, all the history of man, all of the times that empires were established, uh, the Antichrist will only get three and a half years. I mean, I'm sure he'll feel ripped off, but I'm glad, <laughs> amen, because he doesn't deserve any more than that. In fact, it's too much. But yet, uh, the Bible says that God will shorten those times for the sake of the elect. Uh, and if he wouldn't have shortened those times, uh, no man could have, would, have, would be able to bear it. The Lord had to come and, and put himself in, uh, in the place of delivering the people from this terrible thing that was happening on the earth. And so, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of an anti-type of that, or a type of that, uh, looking towards the future. And so we looked at, as well, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's image was essentially promoting the one world church, letter D and then letter E. Those that would not worship the golden image would be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And we looked at that last week in relation to uh, how the Lord wants us to operate within being fully persuaded in our own mind. Worship is, cannot be coerced. You can't make somebody worship anybody. 
And we're going to see by the end of this chapter that Nebuchadnezzar still hasn't learned his lesson. But yet at the same time, the Lord got glory uh, with, with what happened here. And so, um, let's see where I want to start here. We'll look at number two, go straight there. And we'll look at the Chaldeans' cruel envy. Envy is a terrible thing. Uh, envy is really at the heart of most persecution, most problems. Uh, envy is a real terrible enemy of the people of God. Uh, verse number 7 of chapter 3, it says this, Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all the king's kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, they really memorized that, didn't they? Uh, Psaltery and dulcimer and all kinds of music shall fall, fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Now to me, I'm thinking, man, I would hate for anybody to be in that type of consequence. But these guys are going out of their way to make it happen. Amen. It says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, letter A, the three Hebrew men attended the dedication of, did I have temple there? Sorry, the dedication of the, imp, the image. The image. And uh, that's important for us to understand. I want to give you a little lesson in relation to this. Uh, folks, we live in a terrible world. <laughs> it's wicked. It really is. Uh, I don't know where to go half the time, you know. Where can I go? Where's the best place to go or where shouldn't I go? I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to find something, some garbage there. Amen. Uh, no matter what you try to do. Now, you can lock yourself in your house and lock yourself in your basement and, you know, wear blinders and whatever else, but that just doesn't seem realistic in this world in which we live. We have to go do things. We have to work. We have to function. We have to deal with people. Uh, everywhere we go, we have to face uh, this ungodliness. That's why Philippians 2.15, it says, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, so that's the important thing, that we've got to keep these things in our mind, blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And so the language there is among whom. So we actually have to be within them, actually among them, to actually shine Christ to them. Amen? So we're not uh, promoting the communal lifestyle we're not uh, trying to set up walls around our church or our families where, you know, you know, we keep all the world out. We never see anything out there and we all dress the same clothes, amen, <laughs> get beards, amen. I mean, people have tried it. Uh, I think they think it's successful, but the problem is they're really not useful for God because they're not reaching anybody, amen. There's nobody getting saved through that other than their own people. Now, churches have done that. They've built from within. Amen. I'm not against building from within, but I also think the Lord wants us to build from without. Amen. And so that's important. So sometimes we live in a world where, where it'll be less than ideal in our situations. And many of you can attest to this. You have worked. Uh, you've gone to a job site. 
and you know what, there's something happening, you say, man, this makes it tough to go to work. Maybe they got rock music playing, maybe whatever, the language of your coworkers, whatever that may be. Uh, it, it could be very, uh, very difficult. In 2 Kings chapter 5, I want to show you this. Um, when Naaman, uh, when Naaman uh, was healed in the Jordan River, he dipped himself seven times and Elisha was there and he told him to do that. When he went back to Elisha, he was somewhat under conviction because he realized that, you know, first off, he wasn't going to do it. He says, don't we have better rivers in our, in our country than in this dirty, polluted <laughs> Jordan River? Jordan River was a river that ran all the way up from Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, and it picked up a lot of garbage along the way. And in fact, uh, everybody lived along there, and so basically everything that, that's being put in is being swept away into the Dead Sea. If you go there these days, it's interesting that the Jordan River is, is really not very strong anymore because everybody's tapped into it and it's not really running the way it used to be. That's why the Dead Sea is actually losing uh, the, the level every year. When we were there, we were driving on the side of the, the Dead Sea on the highway and they showed us a mark beside the bus on my right-hand side that was about my eye level when I was driving on the bus on the road. They said that was the mark in 1970-something. I forget what year it was. That's as high as the Dead Sea was. Now, then we looked over to our left side where the Dead Sea really was. There was probably about, <clears throat> I'd say, 2,000 feet of just ground sloping down towards the water. So you can imagine how much water they've lost simply in, in 30, 40 years. And so that's because the Jordan River has been tapped into. It's no longer emptying in. Uh, you know, even if you want to get baptized in the Jordan, they don't bring you to the Jordan. They bring you to an, kind of a tributary off of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and they say that's the Jordan because that's as close as they can get. They try to capture the water there. <laughs> Amen. And so it's just a little different these days. But that's why he was saying, you know, don't we have better rivers in our, <laughs> in our country than to dip in this filthy Jordan River? And I know there's spiritual connotation to that and so forth. But what I'm getting at here... <clears throat> Naaman uh, talks to Elisha and explains to him his life. Uh, he's living in a heathen nation. He doesn't have saved people around him. He doesn't have God's people around him. So this is what he says. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer, am I in the right? Yes. Uh, offer neither burnt offering nor, nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant. So what he's saying here is, I'm going to only offer sacrifices to the God of of Israel. Uh, I'm converted. Amen. That's what he's saying here. I believe the God of Israel. But then he goes on to say, in this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant. That when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand... And I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, <clears throat> the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. So what Naaman is saying this, my position in the kingdom, I am close to the king. And when my king goes in to the temple to worship his God, I'm the one that he leans on. 
And so he says, I just want to, you know, I'm not going to offer sacrifice to anybody else except the God of Israel. But pardon me when I have to go in there and bow my knee down, not for the God's sake, but that my king can have someone to lean on. And you know what the prophet said? Go in peace. You know what that tells me? That there's all kinds of situations we're going to get into in this world. <clears throat> and they're not ideal. And, you know, I, I, I'm all for, if you can go to the job site and you can convince everybody to turn off the radio, that's great. But, you know, sometimes you can't. But what you can't do is lose your religion over it. What you can't do is say, well then, and take your righteous stand. Because you know what, that's just a part of living in this wicked world that we live in. We have got to make sure our hearts are right in the middle of this crooked and perverse nation. Now, if you can't handle that, and you find yourself sinning, or maybe you start listening, well then you're in the wrong place. You're not strong enough to, to be there. You need more, more strength. You need to solidify your Christian walk. Amen. But I'm just telling you, this principle is really showing us that, you know, uh, just the fact that these Hebrew boys, they were leaders in the province of Babylon, required them to be involved in all kinds of different situations. But you know what? None of those gods had their heart. They only worshiped one God. Amen. They proved it. <laughs> they proved it. And so just to let you know, they were required, all the princes were required at that, that dedication and they were there, and guess what? Because they were there, and the music played, and they did not bow, it actually accentuated the fact that they were different. Amen? And it got them into trouble. <laughs> That's what happened here. And so, letter B, the Chaldeans accused the Jews out of envy. Notice that it says there that they accused them. The word accused means to eat, consume, or devour. The Chaldeans devoured them. They wanted to eat them up. They wanted to spit them out. That's what envy is. In Galatians 5, verse number 14, it says, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. Amen. Biting, devouring, consuming. And that stuff can happen in the local church. It can happen within our context. And he says, be careful. You're supposed to love one another. You've got to be careful of that biting, amen, that consuming one another. And we've got to be very careful about that where you don't eat one another, amen? And not, I mean, not physically, but we're talking about uh, destroying people, hurting them by the, by the things we do. And so these Hebrew, three Hebrews were hated they had to operate within this dangerous environment, much like godly Christians have to do today. You are many times in a dangerous environment, and unless you just act like them, <laughs> then it's also dangerous, amen? But if you're living godly, you are in a dangerous situation. You're going to be exposed as, as a Christian, and that's good. You need to be exposed. You're going to be standing there. They're all going to bow down, and you're going to be standing that's just the way it's going to be. You're going to stick out like a thorn thumb. And now if you don't, that means you're just doing what they do. I mean, if you bow down with them, then they would never know that you were a Christian. But if you don't do what they do, then they will know. <laughs> Amen. And that's why the Bible says that all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. You, it will cost you something. Amen. If it doesn't, 
then you're not living the Christian life. And that ought to be a, a terrible thing for, to, for us to consider that we're just kind of smooth, going smoothly through our life here and nobody's giving us a hard time about our Christianity, not because we're looking for it. I've, I've seen guys like that too. They're almost looking for trouble, you know. Uh, you know, pick on me, I'm a Christian. <laughs> That's not what I want. But I, just naturally, as you live by principle, as you say no to the drink, as you read your Bible, as you go to church, and I can't work on Sunday, uh, you know, I can't, I, I go to church, I don't, I don't it's, it's important to me. Uh, that kind of stuff is going to expose you. And that's good. It's good for you. <laughs> Amen. Because we'll see, even with the Hebrew boys, that there's a, perf- a, pers- a purpose here that God is accomplishing, even in their suffering. He's, he's, there's no way God could have done what he was doing if he didn't have people that would stand on his promises and be willing to die for them. That's how God accentuated himself to the lost. That's how he made an impact in Babylon. And so, um, let's see here. 1 John 3.11, it says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Did I read? No, I didn't. Not as, not as Cain, who was out of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Then Jesus says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. <laughs> They're going to hate you simply because your works are righteous and theirs are evil. Now, they're going to justify it. They say, oh, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. But yet, even with them justifying their wicked works, they still know in their mind, they're doing right. I'm not. I don't like this. Too much light. Let's shut that light off. Let's turn that switch off. Amen? Because they love their darkness. They know it's darkness. They know they're in sin. They know it's evil. In fact, God gave every one of us a conscience, ultimately, that teaches us that. Now, if you give yourself over the devil enough... Your conscience can be perverted and seared and so forth. But yet, initially, that's why most children will, will get saved. I don't care if a child grew up with an atheist mom and dad. You start bringing them to Sunday school, they'll get saved. It's only later on as they begin to adopt the ideas of mom and dad. You know, nine years old, ten years old, nine-year-old, that's when the, the understanding comes and the whys come and so forth. Why this? And they want to understand everything. And if they're inundated at that point, that's why the age of nine, you can be accountable. If you would die at nine accountable, you'd go to hell. As a nine-year-old child. (laughs) That's a scary thought, but it's true. (laughs) Amen. But that's why we want to get children saved as young as possible. It's because the longer they're in this world, the more they're inundated with satanic and ungodly influences and their hearts are going to be hardened and that's why the world wants uh, (laughs) their their major thing is to get the kids away from us satan's behind that even though they don't understand why they're doing it and that's why the whole system is geared towards that they want your kids younger and younger you know and that's why they'll put all the money towards hey you just bring them to us we'll take care of them for you they get you so downloaded with debt that everybody's got to work and you can't even raise your family. Amen? Can I warn you about that? <laughs> Amen? You don't need to have a mansion. Get yourself a modest home, one income loan, 
and have your one of the parents stay at home with the kids. Amen. Amen. That's just the right thing to do. And if you don't, you will regret it. There'll be a cost, you know. Whatever you got to give up to make that happen, you do that. You sell your cars, you downsize your home, whatever you need to do, you just do it. And God will take care of you. And so, envy, in Proverbs 27, verse 4, it says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? In other words, I'd rather have someone full of wrath than someone full of envy. Envy doesn't end, man. I mean, envy, it just seems that no matter what I try to do, it just keeps coming back. It keeps coming. You, you're saying, like, don't you have better things to do? No, they keep coming back at you. Because they can't get over it in their own soul. They keep comparing themselves. Amen? Wrath, I mean, you, you hit somebody and the wrath can be gone. <laughs> but envy just stays. It lingers. Number one, envy affects your physical health. In Proverbs 14, verse 30, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Amen? So a lot of people, you know, they, they don't understand that, you know, the sins and sins of the heart can actually affect your body. You are three parts. You are spirit, soul, and body. And what you do in your soul and your spirit does affect your body. You have a right spirit. Your body will, will be right. Amen? Not to say you won't get sick, but you'll be a lot healthier. I believe it. People that have lived right and done right and thought right and always tried to do the right things, they tend to live a little longer. <laughs> Amen? Those that don't, die a little sooner. Not to say that everybody dies sooner is not right with God. I mean, look at missionaries. Jim Elliott, he died young at the hands of the, the Indians there in, North, in South uh, America. And so, number two, envy sold Joseph. In Acts 7, verse 9, And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God is with him. So what was behind these guys? Envy. That's why they were envious of their little brother. Think about that. They sold their brother into slavery over being jealous. Dad likes him better than me. <laughs> That's a powerful thing. Man, think about your own life. You ever felt that? I mean, Satan's going to want you to feel that even if it's not true. Because he knows the power of it. If he can make you envious, he can get you to turn against a lot of people. Amen? And he can get you going back at them over and over and over until the job's done. Number three, envy is what crucified Christ. In Matthew 27, verse 17, it says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. It wasn't for blasphemy. It wasn't for all these things that they were throwing around. It was really just came down to they were envious. In fact, John chapter 12, it was very, became very plain when um, all the people came, when Jesus came into, rode into Jerusalem and they were throwing palm leaves before him. And then people came in from out of town. They says, where is this Jesus? Uh, you know, we seek Jesus. And the Pharisees said, the whole world is, is turned after him. And they were all mad. <laughs> you know, everybody's going after Jesus. They didn't want him to go after him. They wanted them to follow them. That's what it was about. So they delivered him to Pilate. Mark 15, 10, for he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Number four, 
Paul and faithful Christians were persecuted because of envy. In Acts 13, 45, And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those saints which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And so, do you think that could happen today? <laughs> do you think that we, if we're trying to do right here as a church, and we're just trying to preach the Word of God and live our lives, and you're trying to get your families, you know, the way they ought to be, and raise your kids right, and, and be a witness, and do all these things that God wants you to do, do you think that your neighbors would become envious of you? Sure they would. Because <laughs> they see your kids. You know, and it doesn't even have to be your neighbor. Sometimes it's people in the church that see your kids and they're envious that you got your kids under control because <laughs> they're not willing to take that step. They're not willing to, to sacrifice what they need to to deal with their kids. So they become envious instead and then they start attacking the person that is doing it right. That's a Cain syndrome. They can be independent Baptists. <laughs> Amen. They really can. And so that's what happened to Paul. Acts 17, verse 5, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason. Jason, just a regular church guy, just a good old Baptist, wanted to do right. They came to his house, they're going to take him down, and sought to bring them out to the people. Number five, envy is a powerful enemy. And I already shared this with you, but who is able to stand before envy? You think about standing against an enemy in the battlefield. He said, stand against wrath, stand against anger, but man, you try to stand against envy. That is a losing battle. Amen? So don't, don't get involved like that. <laughs> you see people envious, you back out of there. <laughs> you know, Don't stir the pot with them. Letter C, the Chaldeans are representative of those that will deliver people to death during the tribulation. And we know that. Notice they came to the king. They said they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Because they were so interested in people living forever. <laughs> no, they were there to kill people. And number one, they were concerned that the, that the king lived forever, but had no concern for the lives of the Hebrews. They wanted them to die today. Sooner the better, you know. Number two, they wanted to infuriate the king against the Hebrews by saying more than the king needed to hear. They said there are certain Jews. And uh, they gave the names there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods. Now, was that a part of the edict? Was that a part of the decree that they had to serve all his gods? No. All they really had to do was bow down and worship that image. That was the only thing in the decree. When you heard the music, they simply had to bow down and, and worship that image. They could have just bowed down and just been quiet. But no, no. They had to point out, they serve not thy gods. They're just stirring it up. They're trying to get Nebuchadnezzar all mad. And guess what? It works. Because Nebuchadnezzar is an emotionally led man. <laughs> and so they, they know how to stir up his, his emotions. And so, um, so it wasn't just about disobedience to a command of the king. You understand that? And you know, that's it many times too. Like, you get people that'll turn on you and they'll throw out, oh yeah, they're, they're not listening to this, that, or the other. But you know what? They don't really care about that. They just care about hurting you. People that turn on people, that hurt people, 
they, they try to take a righteous stand. You know, you, we're, they're not obeying the way we're obeying. Oh, you'd be guaranteed you're probably not obeying too well either. There's something else at play there. <laughs> that's very devious, very deceptive. And that's what they were doing this day. God's people prove themselves by their faithfulness. Even after friends and family deliver them up to be put to death, these men are going to be faithful. Number three, Hebrews, confident persuasion. And so we're going to look at this, a couple points here. Try to move quickly here. Letter A, the king gave an opportunity for compromise. So, interesting. Decree. <laughs> I was thinking about this. He made a decree. And this decree is, you don't do this, you're dead. So here he gets these rulers that were exposed. What does he do? Does he kill them? No. He gives them another opportunity. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's not about killing you. It's about compromising you. People want to compromise you. They don't feel satisfied by killing you, but they sure do feel satisfied by seeing you compromise. So I would think, boy, you make a decree. I mean, this is said, done. I mean, we found that you're guilty, but nope. <laughs> he gives them another chance. He says, do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I've set up? Now, if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I've made, well, well, he says, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Interesting. I like Moses when he approached Pharaoh in Exodus 10, verse 26. He says, our cattle also shall go with us. There, you know, he had several times where he went to Pharaoh, and each time he went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh tried to get him to compromise. First time he says, oh, just leave your kids behind. You don't need your kids. Just go out and worship and do your sacrifices, come back, keep, leave your kids here. He wants something to hold on to, right? <laughs> and the next one was, oh, yeah, you can go, but... Just don't go too far. Don't go too far away. See, that's what the world wants from you too. They want your kids, and they don't want you to go too far. They, they don't want you to stray too far from the world. Okay, we'll let you have your little religion, but just don't be one of these fanatics. <laughs> Amen. Don't go too far. And then the third one, he says, uh, you leave all your cattle behind. You don't need all your cattle out there. And, he says, and then Moses goes on and finally just says, our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. Can you imagine Pharaoh? <laughs> not one hoof. You can't have a hoof. Wow, that must have got him stirred up a bit. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not what, uh, with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. In other words, we don't know what God's going to require of us. So we've got to give him everything. We're going to give them everything. So we can't gamble that we're going to not have the right stuff that God wants from us by getting you involved in this thing. Boy, what a Christian attitude, amen? <laughs> That's the way we ought to be in this world. They want to compromise. You know, many Christians have already been subverted. They've already, the world has already controlled much <clears throat> of our thinking. I, you know, in my first ministry, we had a youth group and that youth group, 
they all come from very tough homes, broken homes, no dads, trouble. I mean, my goodness, man, you wouldn't believe <laughs> some of the things. Uh, it, it was different than here, amen? Even though here, there's trouble too. But these young people, they learned, they, 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 they wanted to do the right thing. And we had a youth group, and God gave us that youth group. And that really became the focus of our eight years being there, is just taking those 12-year-olds to the time they were adults. And so I didn't mess around with them. I didn't play this mamby-pamby Christianity thing. They come to me, and it was time they're, you know, 13, 14, 15. I'll say, oh, we need to get a job. Pastor, what should we do? I said, well, you can't miss church. What? Says, yeah, you, you got to be faithful with, oh, we'll never get a good job. All these places in town, every one of them require you to work on Sundays. You cannot get a job unless you work a Sunday. That was the belief. That was the programming. I said, I'll tell you what. And, and this is what, in fact, this message uh, that I just give you in Exodus chapter 10, the Lord laid that on my heart in Kenora, facing a lot of these battles. And I preached it. I woke up at 3 in the morning on a Saturday. And so that would be Sunday morning. <laughs> and the Lord had touched my heart. He says, you need a different message. I didn't know what he wanted me to preach. And I'm just like a few hours away from going to church. And so I, I went to my office all night. And I worked on a message that God wanted me to have. And he led me to this passage. And I preached that on a Sunday morning. And that afternoon, I had one of our adults come to me. They said, you know what, I was just going to go to my job this afternoon and tell them I was going to compromise. Because I, did, oh, I didn't want to lose my job. But now I'm not going to, she said. <laughs> she didn't. And she didn't lose her job. <laughs> See, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night to help her. <laughs> I'm sure someone else maybe got help too, you know. But that, that's pretty amazing. But that was really the battle we were facing there. And so... I just said, I'll tell you what, these youth group, and I helped them. I helped them even sometimes doing their, their application and what they ought to put on there. And because and, they didn't have anybody that would really guide them, some of them. And they needed someone to tell them what to do. And so, and I went to them. I brought them right to the, to the store. They were going to put the application in. I says, whatever you do, you're just going to be honest. And you're going to do the right thing. No hoops. <laughs> Amen. And sure enough, we went there and every one of them got a job, full time. Every one of them not only got a job, but they came, became one of the favorite employees in that place. Where they got to pick and choose. Where there was a youth event, they would let them off. <laughs> but now, oh no, if I do that, then they're going to give me a hard time. No, you do right. You just do right. Don't let the world program you. Don't let the Pharaoh dictate what kind of Christian you're going to be. Whoever told you that had to happen? Whoever told you that is the way it has to be in this earth? No way, man. Nobody ever said that that's the way it ought to be in my book anyways. Amen. In fact, he tells me totally opposite of that. He says, you go to it and do the right thing. You, you, you serve your God with wholeheartedly and you let me deal with the rest. And folks, when it came down to them, they left Egypt and those people were standing on the side of the road throwing gold and silver at the people of Israel as they were leaving Egypt. You think about that. 
Well, if I don't compromise, preacher, and start missing church, I'm going to lose my money. Baloney! You're a liar! You're deceived, and you're a liar! I don't believe you. I never will. I've seen too much truth. I've seen God answer. You can't convince me. You don't have to turn your back on God to get money. You just make sure you serve the right God. Because you're proving you're serving money. Not God. Amen? We need to get back to that. (laughs) And I told our family too, I said, you know what? There's no business like that here. I know this world's got pressure on us, and they want to do this, that, and the other, and oh, you know, those old fuddy-duddy Christians. You know, I want to be an old fuddy-duddy Christian. I want to be one of those guys that say, oh, he just, yeah, he just believes you got to just give it all. <laughs> That's what I want to be. That's what I'm going to strive for. So throw out your accusations today. I, I'll take it. <laughs> but don't give me this stuff that you have to leave a hoof behind. There's no way. Never. I would never let my children, my brother, my, my brother, my, my I, was, I was trying to get the B in there. My son, Ben, <laughs> He got a job. I said, whatever you do, you ain't working on Sundays and not missing church. You know what? And they give him whatever shifts he needs. And they also said, you are a great employee. When you work hard and you stand on principle, the people respect you. You're a mamby-pamby, you know, uh, (laughs) no backbone type of Christian. They won't respect you. In fact, they'll test you. There's been a couple of times they, they made a mistake on the schedule. Oh, they booked me for a Sunday. I didn't even have to convince Ben. Oh, I'll just let him know I can't. <laughs> Amen. You know, they'll, they'll test you. Every time. Just like Pharaoh tested. You just going to say, nope, no hoof. You ain't getting one of my hoofs. Sorry. And I tell my boys, if that's the way it is, and that's the decision you need to make, then I guess it's time to get another job. The Lord is moving you on. The Lord is moving you on. Amen? (laughs) It's the way it is. The Hebrews, letter B, committed their loyalty to the Lord. They committed their loyalty. Daniel 3, verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. I thought this was kind of neat. First point here is, The Hebrews did not seek a way out of the consequence for their faith. See, this is the thing today. This is what I've noticed about Christians today. We take our stand, but then we cry when we've got to suffer for it. (laughs) You know, we take our stand, but then when we have to give something to hold it, we're all blubbering about it. And when we stand on our rights, you know, stuff like that. Folks, that's not what they did. And I'm going to prove that to you here. And so the Hebrews believed God could deliver them. So it says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of thine hand, O Lord. In other words, there was no thought in their mind that he could not do it. They were convinced that our God, this is nothing. He could easily deliver us in this situation. Now that's part of the attitude we have to have. God is able. He's able to do it. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 5.24 it says, Faithful is he that calleth you, 
who also will do it. Jeremiah 20, 32, verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No. Answer that question. Is there anything too hard for him? Then why are we compromising? If we really believe that, we would never compromise. If we're compromising, because we don't believe that. Amen? Because we become pragmatic Christians. We're pragmatic. We, oh, we got to live in reality. Or God gave us a brain. I mean, God gave... Yeah, not a very good one with some of us. <laughs> Amen. It doesn't matter what kind of brain you got. It doesn't matter how smart you think you are. God wants you to trust him for your deliverance. And so we get pragmatic. We start making statements like, well, God wouldn't want my family to starve. Well, that sounds good. And you'll probably convince someone that isn't very wise... <laughs> But someone that challenges you on that statement would say, now why, why do you think that God would put you in that position? When he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Amen? <laughs> there was no thought in their heart that somehow God would not be able to save them from the furnace. But the deliverance was, was not the criteria for their belief. See, this is it. We many times, we, we follow God as long as he delivers. If he doesn't deliver, then we no longer believe. See, they're trying to show us here in this passage that deliverance isn't the criteria for our belief. It's a blessing. Amen. Hey, God can do it. If he does it, praise God. We'll walk out of here. We'll all have a party. Great. Wonderful. But it wasn't the criteria for their belief. And that's what I like about what they were saying here. Um, where am I here? The Hebrews, number three, would not worship the image even if it meant death. Even if it meant death. So obviously deliverance was not a criteria. So many times, well, God's not answering my prayer. He's not taking care of me. He didn't pay my bill. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. So I'm not going to follow him. Well, the problem is your criteria has been wrong all along. You don't follow God because what he's going to do for you. Because <laughs> sometimes he will take everything you got. Look at Job. What if his criteria was, well, God, as long as you leave my family alone, as long as you don't take away my livelihood, as long as I have my health, then I'll trust you. God took it all. And you know he said, I still trust you. <laughs> what was the criteria for Job? What was it? It wasn't deliverance. <laughs> Same with the Hebrews. wasn't deliverance. That means we're willing to do this even if it means that we die. I'm going to stay faithful even if I have to die. That's a good attitude. Reminds me of someone, amen? Who does it remind you of? Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 2.8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the one we follow after. We can't do anything less than that and call ourselves a Christian. Amen? We always have to do it unto death, no matter what it is. Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Amen? Wow. <laughs> I, I thought I missed a point here. Let me go back. Um, 
Here, let me see. I just don't want to miss it because it's such a good point. And I thought I had it there. The word careful, where is that? Number one, under B. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I, I just missed, I, I didn't explain this well enough. The first point there where the Hebrews did not seek a way out of the consequence of their faith. Notice what they said. And I want you to know what they're saying here. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, what are they saying there? We are not careful. As I begin to study that word, what it really means is this. It means, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you. Think about that. <laughs> it's, uh, careful means to need. It indicates some obligation or necessity to do or to say something. So basically, they're, they're standing there saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we in no way feel obligated like we need to tell you anything right now. What a crazy thing to say. What a crazy thing to say. I mean, you know what we'd be doing? Well, I'm standing for my faith, my rights. We'd be just blurting out all kinds of stuff to save our life. They stand up. I don't need to answer you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Think about that for a second. That's the faith that they had. In other words, there's really nothing to say here. We're not worshiping that image. I'm not defending myself. I'm not trying to find a way out of my trouble. See, we as Christians, we'll stand, we'll go, but as soon as it costs us, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I need, we're trying to convince, convince. Why don't you shut your mouth? Say, you know what? I don't need to answer you. Now, they'll think you're crazy. See, that's the same way they thought about Jesus. Don't you got anything to say in your defense? Like a lamb led to the slaughter. Why? <laughs> Why would these guys have that same heart as Christ? Amen? Amen? That's an important thing to look at here. That's an important thing to understand. Because the deliverance was not the issue. What was the issue? Doing the right thing. There's really nothing I can say. We did right. We did the right thing. And I know you want us to say that it wasn't right, but it's right. And you don't like my answer anyways. <laughs> Art thou the son of God? Thou sayest I am. <laughs> he was just, uh, pull his hair up. <laughs> wow. I thought that was kind of cool. Number four, the king reacted and commanded the furnace to be heated seven times the normal temperature. <laughs> so, so now you know why he's mad. <laughs> he's mad because when these guys came in there, they weren't cowering. Oh, we're scared we're going to go in the furnace. Ah, right. Uh, sorry. Uh, what can I say? No, nope. we're not careful to answer you in this matter. I don't need to say anything to you. 
<laughs> what? The king? I'm a god. <laughs> In their minds, you're a fool. You're a fool. And he knew that. He felt that. He felt that he was foolish before these three men. There was something these men had that he would never even come close to understanding. Amen? Anger and wrath filled the air as the king, king's appearance reflected the evil wrath he would inflict on these boys. Can you just see that? It's just, you ever seen someone get mad and they start boiling? <laughs> oh, I bet you it was boiling. And you can be sure, the people that were around the king, their eyes probably just went, you don't make a king mad like that. These boys did. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach. So here he's compromising. Oh, boys, just bow down. Bow down, it's all going to be okay. We're not, we don't need to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, visage changes, amen. No control, no power, lost it all, amen, because they had a God that was more powerful than this puny king. The king's ego was wounded that these boys would not obey him over all others. Proverbs sixteen thirty two: He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Proverbs 21, 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. That was Nebuchadnezzar. Proverbs 28, 25. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Number five. This is a good one too. Urgency and wrath-filled responses to truth hurt others urgency what happened here verse number 20 it says and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace then these men were bound in their coats and their hose and their hats and their garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace therefore because of the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So this is what happens when you get urgent and wrath-filled. You start making very stupid decisions. And so he's, just throw them in there, heat that thing up, grab them right now. And these guys are just, oh, we got to do this as mighty men. Not realizing that they were going to their death. And Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with anger, he didn't realize what was going to happen. Because when you lose your temper, your brain goes on pause. Amen? You been there? You ever lose your temper and do something very stupid? Says, oh, I didn't want to do that. Well, yeah, you did. You chose to do it. But you didn't think through the consequence of what you were going to do. Amen? So urgency... Wrath-filled responses, losing your temper, is always going to hurt the people. Not the ones you're against, but the people that are around you on your side. The people that you're supposed to love and protect. Amen? You get what I'm saying there? So urgent is something to be urgent, harsh, or severe. 
Uh, let me move forward real quick. Uh, number four, the Lord's comforting presence. So now we see them thrown into the fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto them, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That is so cool. <laughs> you know, Number one, I don't know how in the world Nebuchadnezzar knows what the Son of God looks like. But I just know that the presence of Christ in this situation, there was no doubt that this is God when they saw him in that furnace. Even Nebuchadnezzar could understand that. Literally, the Hebrews were bound and fell down in the midst of the furnace. That means tied up. That's many times what happens when we get into situations we feel tied up, bound, can't do what we want to do, can't control our situation. Everything's out of control. <laughs> many times I get calls or texts and from people that are going through stuff and they say, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do, it's all out of control. <laughs> what do you tell somebody like that? <clears throat> no magic wand. What do you tell them? What do you tell them when there's nothing? I, I don't know. I just say, well, if there's nothing you can do, then you don't have to do it. But one thing you can do is turn to the Lord. You understand that? Think about this. The devil works very hard to get you focused on stuff you can't do. In fact, that's what's getting you mad. That's what's causing you problems in your home, that's why you're frustrated with your jobs, your family. It's all about what you can't control. <laughs> Amen. Now let me ask you this. If you can't control it, then what's the use in sitting there worrying about it? Do you think your worry is going to get you in control of it? Never. Never. And it's amazing because I've had situations like that, and I know I go through them as well, and I have to remind myself, how can I do this? And I just, I just remind myself, well, there's only God. There's only God. That's the only one I can turn to. I can do nothing, you know. As a pastor, I feel sometimes I've got to be able to do something. You know, something, I just nothing I can do. I can't fix it. I don't know. I, I, I can't figure out the story to every situation in the world. I can't know the heart of every man. I can't come up with an answer for everybody's problem. And I say, Lord, uh, am I supposed to know all this stuff? Am I supposed to be able to give everybody the right answer exactly what they need? Or, or are we just supposed to learn to just come to you and trust you? And sometimes as a pastor, that's all I can do is tell you just, I don't know what's going to happen with your life. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with your job. I don't know how you'll get a job. <laughs> all I know is if you're going to get one, it's going to be because you go to God with it. Amen? Well, what if I never do? Well, if you never do, then I guess God never wants you to have one. <laughs> Amen? No, I don't think that's true. I think the Lord wants you where he wants you. So stop worrying about where you want you and start just surrendering to where he wants you. And if that's the case, then you'll just wait for him to put you there. Amen? The Lord's presence, <laughs> bound up, 
They're all bound up, nothing they could do, cast into the fire. I'm sure they all laid down there waiting to burn. Nothing really left to hope for, <laughs> amen. But then the Lord's presence was revealed in the fire. Is there not four men loose? Nebuchadnezzar was amazed when he saw four men in the fire. Four men. I think it's number one there, Ben. Or is that not working? Four men in the fire. It says, uh, letter A, they were loose. The word loose means to dissolve. It means to solve. <laughs> Amen. So here they are going into the worst experience you can, you can actually go into, all bound up, scared of burning to death. And it's when you get thrown in there, what's the result? It's solved. Your problem is solved. The Lord solves it for you. He takes away the bounds. He takes away the, the, that which has tied you up. The only thing that burned in the fire was the binding. Think about that. The only thing that burnt in that fire was the thing that bound them. Not them. In fact, they went in, they were in better shape after they went into the furnace than they were before. <laughs> now, who can do that except God? Amen? Many times we'll not trust God because we're afraid to suffer for Him because of the ramifications it would mean to our future, to our finances, to our family. How many people have left church for money? How many? How many people have left serving God for, for this, that, or the other? Because they're scared. They're bound. They're scared. Oh, no, I can't go to that furnace. Not realizing if you just go into the furnace, you'd be more free than you've ever been. Because then you're going to start seeing how God delivers you. Amen. I hope you've seen that in your life in some way. We need to understand when we do right and suffer for it, the worst that will happen is that our problem will be solved. <laughs> Think about that. The worst that's going to happen, Christian, when you go into situations and you're suffering for doing the right thing, the absolute worst thing that can happen is your problem's going to be solved. Well, that doesn't sound bad. <laughs> well, it's kind of a journey to get there. <laughs> Amen. But I'll tell you, you'll get there. You'll get there. Our bindings will be loosened. They were walking. They were traveling. They had no hurt. Let her see. No damage, no injury, no harm. Compromise of truth inflicts damage. Suffering for truth never inflicts damage. But you compromise it, then you'll be damaged. The furnace cannot damage you. Compromise will damage you. Number two, the Hebrews' decision to suffer revealed Christ. Letter A, revealed Christ's presence. Boy, I made a long outline of this passage, didn't I? <laughs> Letter A, they reve it revealed Christ's presence. Where am I in this? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The Lord will never send you someplace that he's not gone before and will be with you as you go through it. Every time. See, it's not that he showed up in the furnace. That's just where they were. he was revealed. He was with them all along. He's just revealed in the furnace. But he's always been there. Amen? 
So he lets you walk around and go through life not really knowing, not seeing whether he's there. Then he puts you in a position where you're supposed to choose to believe him even though you don't know if he's actually there. And then because you choose the right thing, it puts you in a position where you suffer. And where does Jesus reveal himself? When you're suffering for doing the right thing. But that's not where he entered. That's not where he came to them. <laughs> I think he was always with them. I think, that, I think the flames just made him appear. And that's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And you know what? The lost can only see Christ in you as you handle tri trials properly as well. See, it was Nebuchadnezzar that saw the Son of God. <laughs> Amen. So they're not going to see him on you when everything's going well and you're just going along and everything's just hunky-dory. But when it costs you something, now you've got to make decisions because you're losing something or you've got to make a hard choice because it's a, a job thing or a family thing. Everybody's looking at you and you know it's going to cost you. All kinds of threats are going around. I, I don't love you anymore and you do that. I'll never visit you again and whatever. <laughs> this is where you make your choice. This is the furnace. This is where I enter in and the Lord's waiting. I made you a promise. Wherever you go, following me, I'll be with you. Do you believe it? See, so many people will rather just take the detour and leave Christ behind. Instead of going where Jesus was going in the first place. It's all his design. But he leaves you the choice. He leaves you the choice to go. The lost can only see Christ in you as you handle trials properly. And I, I got a passage. I got so much stuff yet, but I can't finish this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope, reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that is in context of suffering. That means it's when you go through it that they say, how can you do that? This isn't normal. Why are you going through this and you're not mad at everybody? Why are you not bitter? They ask you. Be ready. Amen. Number three, reveal Christ's protection. Um, and you see that in verse 27, the princes, governors, captains, kings, counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Not one hair of their head was singed. Neither were their coats changed nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They came out of there, couldn't even smell that they had been in a fire. <laughs> wow. That is the protection of God. Move on quickly, number five. The king's changed proc proclamation. So this changed some things, but it's interesting how it changed here. The king revealed some characteristics of the Hebrews' success in facing the furnace. He's the one that revealed it. Notice what he said. It says, that Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. The lost person saw the saved people trust in God. Trust. So the first thing is trust the Lord. You want to face the furnace, you've got to trust the Lord. You're not going to trust him, you're not going to face the furnace. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Amen. 
Realize that there's no furnace that will harm your life. It will only free you from that which binds you. Trust must precede deliverance. If you're not going to trust, you'll never know deliverance. Never. Second thing he said, (laughs) interesting, he says, he delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. That means I made a law, but now I'm changing the law because of what I saw. Amen? And yielded their bodies. This is Nebuchadnezzar's observation here. The second thing you got to do is yield your bodies. Yield your bodies. How are you going to face that furnace? Your body has to be yielded. Your biggest problem is your body. That's why the Bible says present your body as a living sacrifice. It is causing you to make all kinds of stupid decisions. Amen? Well, I'm going to starve. Oh, that poor body of yours. You know how many, how many people make decisions to turn away from the Lord because of their body? Lots. Nebuchadnezzar realized that these men had yielded their bodies as a living and a dead sacrifice. Isn't that something? But I keep under my body, bring it to subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Apostle Paul says, I put my body into submission. Never let your body call the shots. Oh, I got a headache. I can't go to church. I can't read my Bible. Sometimes you got a bad headache. You got to stay home. I think Madeline's sick tonight, by the way. <laughs> and you know, sometimes that happens. But you know what I know is I've been in ministry a long time. I'm not stupid. It's the same way when you call your boss and I feel sick today, and you're not. Amen. <laughs> you're not sick today. You just don't want to go to go to work. Amen. It's funny, I'm talking to my son all the time about his job, and he's just telling me all these stories about guys that get hired, but then they don't show up. <laughs> I'm just saying, why would you want a job not to show up? <laughs> or they're always wanting off early. I don't want to go to work. Like, why did you want a job if you don't want to go to work and you want to go home early? Unless you're just sitting in your basement at home and mom and dad's paying your rent and putting food on your table and you're, you're just trying to buy video games with your money. Amen. <laughs> I got my video game for the month. Amen. <laughs> I don't need any more hours. I don't think so. That wouldn't be a good way to live. Romans 6, 13, it says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we must give our bodies to God since the reason why we compromise mostly is based on our physical life. It's always the physical life. Amen. What I want, what I see, what I want to take into myself, what I want to put in my mouth, what I want to put in my ears, uh, what I want to feel when I lie down. I want to relax. I want to just be pampered. (laughs) Amen. That wasn't what was on the Hebrews' minds. Pampering. They had that mentality that day. They would have compromised. But the king saw it. You guys yielded your bodies. The king couldn't do that. I'm sure he's being pampered every day of his life, you know. Third thing is, wholeheartedly serve the Lord. That they might not serve nor worship any God 
except their own God. So what Nebuchadnezzar took away from these guys is that they had made a decision that they will never serve any other God than that one specific God. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that now. He says they will never. There's nothing more Nebuchadnezzar could do to these men to change their mind about serving that one God. He knew. He lost. I lost. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. They serve God by going into that furnace. That was service. Amen? Jesus said, let them follow me. Wherever I am, let them come to me. And they'll be my servant. And then if they serve me, my Father's going to honor them. And that's exactly what happened to these boys. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. You either hate the one, love the other, or else you hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we need to make our choice here today. If money is your God, if possessions are your God, then you make your choice. But I'll tell you this, there is no serving both. You have to serve one. You cannot serve both. Jesus said those words. Because if you do, you're going to end up despising the other one. That's why many times, when, we start, when I start preaching many times, some people get right wrangled about what I say. Why is that? Because I'm challenging their belief in their God. I'm shaking up their God. <laughs> See, if they had God and their only God, then no matter what I would say according to Scripture, they say, Amen, 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 and Amen. If they would be ready for death and say, I'm ready to go to the cross, they'd say, amen, preacher, amen, amen, amen. I could talk about going to church three, four, five times a week, amen, amen, amen. But when I start saying, be faithful to God, I'm challenging your idol. That's why you get mad at the preacher. (laughs) That's truly what it is. It really is. I know I've been there. (laughs) I've done that. I still have to make sure that I'm always serving the right God. Because it's easy to change your mind. It's easy to get deceived and flipped over. Amen? Let it be, the king did not understand that worship must be of faith, not by force. This is so interesting. Nebuchadnezzar, what a dummy. Look at this, verse 29. Listen to this, what he says. Therefore... <laughs> so he's nailed. These are, boy, those guys are faithful, man. They're right on, right with God. So he's, therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made a dunghill. Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. <laughs> you know, I, I give them you know, a little bit for credit to just... <laughs> somewhat aiming in the right direction. But he was missing something really big here. (laughs) He just thought his decrees were just the answer for everything. (laughs) Decree, you hear the music, you bow down. Decree, decree, decree. And he didn't realize his decree was puny in the sight of God. 
He says, your little decree. I took it down with three boys. Amen? Don't you be throwing around your decrees. Nobody can make you serve God. Nobody can make you worship him. Nobody. See, he was happy if someone just bowed down and faked it. He was. Because it was all about his own ego. Just about me being able to make you do something. <laughs> so he thought, I'm going to do the same thing with these guys' gods. But our God says, no, I don't accept that. They that worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? So Nebuchadnezzar, what a, what a dummy. What a dummy. But he comes along. He's learning. I mean, little by little, he's getting little tidbits of truth here. And it is going to hit home at one point, but he's got to go right to the bottom. So let her see the Hebrews were promoted in the province of Babylon. Notice in chapter 2, Daniel promoted them. Chapter 3, God promoted them. Because they stood. Amen? First time they just prayed. Daniel, we're with you, right behind you. The next time they had skin in the game. <laughs> and they were proving themselves. And God says, now promotion cometh not from the east or the west, but from the Lord. Amen? So this promotion was God's promotion. I believe that whole